0: Hello and welcome to This Just Is. My name is Ian Friedman and I am a human, as are you. And what an amazing thing it is that we found each other. Getting right to it on this episode, my guest is Tony Cavalero. Tony is an actor, comedic performer, writer, and improviser. You can see Tony on The Righteous Gemstones on HBO, which was going to be shooting its second season in South Carolina, but was stopped down due to the COVID-19 crisis. So I actually interview Tony. Uh, he's hunkered down in South Carolina enjoying his time there, waiting it out, and probably will be heading back to L.A. at some point if they don't shoot that second season. But his character's name on that show is Keith Chambers, and it's worth the price of admission just to watch him on screen. He's a magnetic performer. Your eyes are just drawn to him, and he's really fun to watch. And as many actors would say, Tony's a guy that makes great choices. He's got endless amounts of energy, and we talk a bit about that. He's also had some real struggles in his past as well that we discussed. Being friends with Tony, I had known about his sobriety, but never had discussed the roots of it. So it was interesting to hear what led him on his path. He's a great guy, a warm and lovely person. And here he is, the one and only Tony Cavallero.
1: I thought you were talking about these. Are your ankle weights? They're Andy's wrist weights.
0: Uh, Do you walk around with those on? Mm Mm-hmm
1: one on each nut dude
0: <laughs> well you know, it helps to stretch things out are you an arrowhead yeah yeah I came up for the day I have to do a bunch of stuff and then uh, and then I'm going to go back tomorrow to, for work it's been surprisingly busy which kind of came on all at once I was like well, I don't know what's going to happen. And then we just, all this stuff started to pop up. And I was like, this is good. Keeps us busy. That's
1: great, dude. I'm the opposite. Well, I mean, I've been doing a lot of this. This is like my sixth podcast or something over the break.
0: I'm glad I could be number six.
1: Yeah, last but not least.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But how are you? How are you doing with all this? I've been asking all my guests like a fundamental how are you. With everything. Um,
1: I mean, fundamentally great. Like, honestly, I, I just, you know, and I'm sure you can relate. Like, I like, I like a lot of things on my plate. I live a very scheduled life. I like to have A, B, C, D, E, F, go to bed. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, so for me to get like, I still have my routine, but I'm now like in a routine where Uh, I'm like, now I'm going, man, I wish I'd written two scripts. Why haven't I written two scripts? And I'm like, but I've read six books. So, you know, I'm on number seven. So, I mean, you know, it's just, it's hard to get productive right now. Um, But I mean, that's a fucking quality problem to have.
0: Yeah, I've been, it's interesting because I talked to some people And I ask them, you know, even outside of the podcast, just like, how are you? And it's either your response, like I'm doing pretty well, all things considered, or it's this is, you know, I'm not doing so great. This is really hard for me. Yeah. Also people were some sort of semblance of that and it's been across the range, but people like yourself, there's pretty frequent people are like, this has actually been really good for me. Um, I've been really productive. Um, but it's almost like people say it in like hushed tones are like, honestly, this has been pretty great because there's so many people's lives that have been so devastated by this, not only health- Ex- like Yeah. So it's hard to be like, this actually has been a great reset for me when there's so much going on that you kind of feel a little guilty of like, I'm actually kind of thriving doing this.
1: But there's a hundred percent. I mean, I feel more connected to my wife than I've ever felt before. Like we have just, you know, have been from top to bottom on the same page with this whole thing, you know, and, um, just on all the fronts, you know, she, she was like, we were driving across the country and she read an article and this was like March the second or third and was like, we need to buckle down. I think this is going to be scary. And sure enough, I mean, she hit the nail right on the head and, you know. Luckily for her, you know, luckily for her, we were, like, well prepared and had been preparing, you know, a few days, I feel like, ahead of most everyone else and a week or two ahead of everyone here in South Carolina. Yeah. You know.
0: Um, I, I remember, I think it was, like, in February, I started texting Brooke, my wife, like, frantically. Yeah. Like, this was when I had read articles about that it was like bad in China. And I was like, this thing seems kind of weird. It doesn't seem like it's gonna go away. And I started like texting Brooke like, hey, how many diapers do we have? Do we have powdered milk? Like, And she's just like, "What? what is wrong? I'm like, I'm reading these articles. I'm really worried about this. So it's like, I don't take any solace in being able to determine that it was a problem before it was a problem. Yeah. But it's interesting how some people looked at it and dismissed it, and other people looked at it and were like, Oh, that's a problem. This is gonna be bad. And I wonder what that indicates. Some people can like see through stuff and notice that like, oh, this is real. I think this is an issue. And some people either deny it or just not don't see it for what it is. Which is I mean uh, to, like, go down. Yeah,
1: and and the stuff right now, like South Carolina's pretty much back in full swing. And then like we're reading on the daily basis that like it's estimated to be three thousand deaths a day June first because of the lightning of the of the um of the restrictions in certain states and it's like ah what are we doing here? Not you know not us I know what we're doing here but what's you know is this the right choice? What's the right choice? It's just like I wish we had someone that was our president that would tell us exactly what to do and how to say, how to safely live right now.
0: Yeah. I don't think anyone, you know, there, there's just no one to look to. It kind of gives you, you kind of have That's to face for yourself, which is dangerous. I think because there's one thing about like independent freedom of like being like, I want to go to work or I want to go to the store. Or, I want to do this thing. But when it's an, when it's an, something that you can, potentially contract and give to someone else and kill someone else. It, like, to me, that kind of starts to infringe upon freedoms. So it's like, well, you can just inadvertently kill someone or get yeah. some disease and deeply, deeply affect them. It's like, some people just don't think it's real. And I think those people are people that are like far from New York or LA or Chicago or any major city and they're not seeing it or it's not touching their lives in any other way other than they can't go to work. And they're not making any money. So I understand why some people are probably like, this is bullshit. I don't, I don't see how this is real. But for us, where we have friends in LA who are getting sick. I mean, there's a guy I know. I go to the gym with, stand with comedian, almost died. Like,
1: you know, he was in the yeah. hospital,
0: like, you know, like two and a half weeks. Um, wow. So I've seen it, what it's done. I've talked to people in New York, you know, so I, I've seen it. So I understand how some people are like, just you know, not feeling motivated to change their behavior. But yeah, also- are you
1: from New York?
0: Yeah, I'm originally from New York, yeah. Where in New York? Long Island. We about- yeah, yeah, we talked about this. Lacrosse. Yeah. Well, Yeah, so like one of the class, oh, I, yeah, I wanted to, that's that's a good segue, we'll but I wanted to-, to let you know, like Long Island, obviously a classy place. Uh, a lot of class people come from Long Island, such as myself. Um, but... Uh-huh. Yeah. I know that you were, a co- you, were, you were a college athlete. You played at uh, VMI, VMI uh, Virginia Military Institute. And as someone who played sports, um, and I would describe you as someone as a human being that we would say in athletics has a high work rate. You have a good, <laughs> motor, right? And you would agree yeah. with that, I think, right? You've got high work. You're one of those like high energy guys, right? Yeah, like, you know, the guy everyone's like, How is he still running? Does he ever, did he, did he slow down a little bit?
1: Uh, yeah. You and Andy can talk about that for yeah. a while.
0: So so I, I see that, you know, I, I could tell like, you know, as someone like, I'm like, I bet you he just never stopped running when he was playing. But I see that extended in your work and the way that you approach, you know, creative uh, endeavors, the way your social media, like you're always posting stuff you're always creating stuff and i think we'll get to like sort of more of the basil stuff but I, I think like what is what drives that in you is it innate or is it is it a desire within you that you you go to that well because it's just what feeds you or is it is there a fear Ooh. associated with it what is it that drives you that way to have that work right
1: i definitely think i definitely think there is some Fear-based thinking there for sure. I mean, I grew up, you know, lower middle class and we were always kind of struggling and, um, and I think there is that like ingrained because my dad would work, my mom would work and they, you know, I mean, at one point my mom worked in a machine shop and she worked from like 10 p.m. till 4 a.m. And that was like her second job on top of being a bartender. And then my dad worked for a construction company for like 25 years, owned his own construction company that, that never really reached any kind of success. So I think, and both of them had wanted to be actors, you know, and I think there's also that, um, you know, just in the, um, just in the, industry we work in, it's like, well, once the iron's hot, you better strike, you know, you got to go, you got to go, you can't stop. And then I also hear whispers of like, well, you've got to be a multi hyphenate in order to work today in our industry. So it's kind of always just like, and it's fun. And it's fun. Like I said, that's kind of, I have like two speeds, it's really hard for me to, you know, I'm either sleeping or I'm up in going a million miles a minute. And so I think that's already kind of my nature always has been like, go, go, go. Um, But I also think there's some like, there's some Papa Bear, you know, mentality in there too, that like, I've got to provide, I've got, you know, I've got a family and, you know, uh, we want to have kids eventually. And so it's just kind of always that. I mean, I think those kind of sum up you know, why, why I'm always there, you know, when I was a fat kid too. So I think there's always just kind of like, you know, and it took me eight years before I first got my like regular job in LA. So I think that like eight years of shit work, I mean, literally I was a janitor who would pick up homeless shit on the side of the building. Like all those years of that work, it's like, oh yeah, I know what it's like. And before that I knew what military school was like. And military school, it was the same thing. If you got good grades there at VMI, if you got a 3.0 or even better, a 3.5 or better, you got days off from the school. So, you know, very much that work hard, play hard mentality, you know, and I think that probably transferred over as well, you know, which is kind of crazy because, you know, in our business, hard work doesn't always equal reward.
0: Yeah, it doesn't, but I think that your blue collar mentality to like, once you've got something, to then go, okay, now I go. Whereas a lot of people are like, shit, I got a job. This is great. I don't have to fucking do anything now. And those <laughs> yeah. people tend to like get on a show for a year or two, whether they're a writer, performer, and they get, you know, a decent paycheck. And I'm like, this is it. It's going to be like this forever. And I think you probably had the foresight being a performer and a groundling, and seeing people make it or at least get on a show or something and then see like, Oh, they're doing it. And then a year later they're back, you know, performing, looking for their next commercial or their next thing. Whereas a lot of people like they go out to LA, they get their first gig and they're like, Oh, this is going to be easy. And then they don't work again for five years. And I think that, you know, once, once people get that thing, some of them stop churning. And I think that might be why some people can't like, Cross the barrier once again. Sustain, like, yeah. That's luck, and that's great. And now, and then, and you proved yourself. But you've got to continue to prove yourself, even when you're, you know, the the first or second lead on a show. You still have to continue that work rate. And so I think your high your high work rate, your good, your, you're a high motor guy, high energy guy. Helps yeah. <laughs> <don't laughs> much with that because you've never lost the mentality of like this could all go away tomorrow. I've got to keep working. I need to have three or four things going because who knows what's going to happen, especially now with everything that's going on. Um, so I think it's interesting that you're bringing that blue collar attitude to a job where a lot of people don't necessarily wouldn't think that that attitude exists in this, this type of work. And it actually does exist with people like yourself who are like, I grew up in a normal family that was struggling. And I've had, you know, a good life now that this, this profession has allowed me to have a good life, but I'm going to keep going. And you mentioned something also, in you know, this is a you know a very a personal thing. We talked a little bit about, but I don't know the history behind this. But you said, you know, at VMI it was very much work hard, play hard. And as someone who's a high energy guy, I know that you were, you know, at, you don't you no longer drink. You're sober. Yeah. Um. I don't know what you know the specifics of what led to that decision. I only know it just through us being friends that like you don't drink, you don't do anything, and I just know yeah. that that's fine. Part of it's like when I meet, when I hang out with you, I'm like, he doesn't need anything. He's good. He, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I, I kind of wanted to see, you know, as, as comfortable as you are with it, because I think it's important for people to hear from someone who's doing cool stuff and someone who's been through a lot, what led you to that decision? Was there a rock bottom or was it just like, I don't want to do this anymore? Where were you in your mindset that led to that decision and how is it informed what you're doing today? And how do you keep, on task with yeah. sobriety because it's not easy i know it's not easy
1: well i mean you know i've got all, uh, like all, like 10 and a half years of sobriety so for me i mean it's kind of second nature at this point but i mean just to kind of go back like you know i i did i was always like my parents were always kind of like you know reach for the stars go for it don't be afraid of anything you know what i mean they were very you know, you guys can do whatever you want to do with me and my brother. And, and so, you know, we both ended up getting black belts in Taekwondo and then becoming Eagle Scouts and captains of the football team and all that kind of, exas- not existential, but all that extracurricular crap like we had achieved, you know. We went to Boys State and we both graduated with honors and all that stuff. And then it was like, I mean, I moved to L.A., and it was like a pretty clear you know, correlation between like, oh, now I'm in LA and I'm a janitor and I live in a shithole apartment and I'm literally on the verge of getting fired every time I go into work. And, and then I got arrested um, and that kind of was like, what happened? You know, what what is the thing what is the thing? And so, you know, just kind of to trace back to VMI for a second, and we'll jump back there in a minute. Like I mean, VMI, I would study, 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 play lacrosse, stay up all night, and then, like, as soon as I got in the car, to leave w- with those days that I would get for the good grade point average. I mean, I would be off to the races. I mean, in the car drive to Richmond, I would be, you know, sniffing pills, doing drugs, drinking, so I could be as hammered as I could be once I got to my destination, wherever that was, because you weren't allowed to, to drink or, or use in barracks, obviously not allowed to use, but like, mm-hmm. so for me, it was like, once I graduated from VMI, I was like, all right. Yeah, I got to do like weekends and days, but like I didn't get to have the college experience like everyone else where they just got to get shit-faced every night. So I deserve that now. I just went through this crazy military school. I deserve, you know, an eight ball, you know, on a Tuesday
0: night. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get it. And it you means- know, but
1: my, <laughs> my grand plan yeah. was to stop doing cocaine when I moved to L.A., And it's like, oh, yeah, great.
0: (laughs) Not the move. (laughs) That's the worst, that's like (laughs) the worst choice.
1: So that worked
0: for about three weeks (laughs) (laughs) before
1: I found my drug dealer down in Koreatown. Um, But nonetheless, I kind of came to a screeching halt when I got arrested. and, And then I just remember like, now, I got court-ordered to go to meetings, and and um, those meetings, man, like, I had to freaking ride my bike to the meetings, and what, what's so funny is I I, I had a shithole apartment, and then my janitor job, and right in between, on the same street as my apartment, on Lancashire Boulevard in North Hollywood, I worked at the El Portal on Lancashire and, and uh, Magnolia. I
0: know, exactly. And then I
1: lived, right, where that is, and then I lived up on Van... Van Owen in Lancashire if you just drove straight up. And then I would take my bike and like right smack dab in the middle of those two was an old AA house called Chandler Lodge. And so I was quarter to go there and I would sit in the back and um, I'd sit next to like the homeless dude that would steal the donuts. And I just remembered like at that point in my life I was so miserable man, I, I so anxiety stricken no solutions, you know, borderline, you know, suicidal, basically, you know, I just was like, what am I doing? You know, just like I'm a total fucking loser and I shouldn't be, (laughs) you know? And um, luckily my bosses gave me some extra hours and I started feeling better leaving these meetings. That was like the only thing making me feel any better. And, um, so I continued to go to some of those meetings, and then um, eventually I got a sponsor, and uh, I, I worked with my sponsor for a few months, and then I thought I could do it on my own. And then I had a relapse about a year in, and then um, after that relapse, I, I got in touch with my sponsor again and picked right up where we left off, and, and uh, that's 10 and a half years ago. And uh, my, the entire trajectory of my life completely changed. I mean, I didn't know, obviously I didn't have any idea who I was. I just came from the Virginia Military Institute and moved to Los Angeles to be an actor. Like, and I didn't have a clue. You
0: and you, your plan was to quit cocaine in Los Angeles. Let's make that clear. Yeah, I mean,
1: every decision of my own will at that point, led me down the wrong path. And so, you know, I eventually had to give my will and my life over to a power greater than myself, you know, because I was not making the best choices at that point in the game, you know?
0: Yeah. What what do you think at the core was why you were drawn towards that behavior initially? Because when I look at it from the outside looking in, as someone like you that might have been drawn to that behavior, is like that was the chaos that you couldn't have, like that yeah. invited some amount of, of discord or disassociation from the thing that grounded you. But I could be wrong. But what do you think drew you to that? Because a lot of people right now, especially, are probably struggling with vices in various ways because of this current situation. And I think it's, inter- it's interesting and it's important for people to, like, step back, remove themselves from the situation and go, what's causing me to go to these things?
1: Well, it's interesting because like, you know, alcoholism is a medically determined, you know, disease. And I think, you know, since I was a little kid, you know, I, I always had a very addictive personality. I mean, I couldn't sit down and have one bowl of cereal. I'd have to have the whole box. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically going into my grandmother's purse to get a piece of Big Red And I would eat the whole, she had that plenty pack, the old school plenty pack, and I would eat the whole thing. I, and then with drinking and drugging, it wasn't, you know, for me, the deciding factor was, could I just have a drink to enjoy a drink? Never. I, in my entire, you know, whatever, however many years drinking, I drank to get drunk every single time. I cannot remember a single instance where I was like, I'm just going to enjoy a nice Indian pale ale, like, you know, or a good old scotch. I mean, I would start that way. I, in my mind, that's what I would be saying. But then 15, 20 pale ales later, or, you know, 10 scotches later, I'd be like, I told myself I was only going to have one fine scotch, you know, and, um, you know, it was that way with uh, a lot of things. And I think there was, you know, I think there's also, you know, there's genetic as as well. And there was some alcoholism in my family as well that I think was probably passed down. Um, So I think it was only a matter of time because I remember like specifically my sophomore year in high school, just being like, People that do drugs are stupid idiots. You know what I mean? And it was like the first time I got drunk, I was like, oh, I love this. Complete, like I could be Chris Farley without having to worry about anything. Like it made me funnier. It made me fearless. It made me comfortable to talk to everybody and to just be a fucking wild man. And that might be cute for a little bit, but, you know, eventually... Um, it's just it's an uphill uphill battle. You're never gonna you're never gonna win. But I knew, you know, looking back at it now, I knew really early on, it was like, I mean, that first time I smoked weed, I was like, I need more. I need more. I gotta do it again. I gotta do it again every day. Let's do it before practice. Let's do it, you know, let's and so, you know, I mean, and even at VMI, it was like part of the reason why I went there is because I knew that rigid structure was hopefully gonna, you know, contain some of those, uh, you know, alcoholic tendencies that I had. And, and I still bashed for the first half of my last away game, my senior year, because I was in a blackout, and my, my uh, teammate came to w- wake me up at 6 a.m. to get on the bus for our last away game, captain of the lacrosse team, my senior year. And I woke up, don't remember any of this. I woke up and said, yep, I'm getting ready. And he said, I was packing my like duffel bag with my sticks and stuff. And he laughed. and I must've passed back out. And I didn't remember any of it. And I was so pissed at him because he hadn't woken me up. And he was like, I did. I saw you with my own two eyes. You got up, you were packing your bag. And I didn't remember any of it, you know? And so you know, that's, but that's all, you know, anybody that's listening that's an alcoholic is all like, yeah, 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 <laughs> I've heard that a million times, you know, and it's all that stuff that, that seems insane, but anybody that is struggling with alcohol or addiction can relate completely and, and, and it gets at, you know, and they're on the same
0: page. Um, do you find that when there are people that are in your life or people that you know of or hear of when they're struggling with addiction you're far more empathetic and sympathetic towards those people because I think people that don't understand it often are like, oh fuck, it's, they're so selfish or, or this or that. But you're someone who's lived, and I felt that way a lot because I've had people in my life who were addicted to things and I always felt, how dare they do this? They're, they don't understand what they're putting me through. But as I've grown and kind of become a little bit more aware of things, I just feel badly for them as opposed to feeling mad at them. Um, yeah. Because it is a disease, no matter what anyone says, like, it really does attack your brain in a way that's really, really difficult to get get out of.
1: I mean, you go to one meeting, you know, one of the very first meetings I went to, you know, there was this amazing share, uh, you know, by this mom, like, in her mid-40s. And, you know, it was about her being a prostitute in Chicago and being assaulted and left in three feet of snow in an alley next to a dumpster so that when the trash truck would come the next day, it would run her over and kill her. And uh, I was just like, what? You know, this is insane. But that's what it is. Like, the disease of alcoholism, it, 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 it causes insanity. I mean, I've seen people come in and, you know, say, you know, moms, I would drink, you know, three glasses of wine and then drive my kids to school at 7 a.m. You know, and that's not something a sane person does. You know, a sane person doesn't endanger the lives of others, you know, multiple times over and over again. They don't continue to say, you know, well, I'm only gonna, I'm only gonna do you know, and, you know, a bump or two of Coke on the weekend. Okay. And then it turns into Thursday night. Okay. And then it turns into, well, you know, it's Taco Tuesday. So Taco Tuesday and then, you know, mm. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, uh, but I got a little bit left over. So I got to do a little bit on Sunday night too. And then, well, I'll leave a bump or two for Monday morning. Cause what better way to start off on Monday? You know what I mean? It just, it, it, there's no other, you you know, disease like that, that causes um, such destruction, and is so baffling, cunning, powerful, and baffling, you know, especially to others, you know, Mm. and um, I've even had family members who I love and adore, I'm so glad you overcame that weakness, and just be like, dad, oh, I meant, (laughs) 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 you know, it's, you know, it's not a weakness, it's, you know, it's a disease, and also, you know, the that's
0: amount of strength you have to uh, harness to overcome it is far greater than the weakness. It's not a weakness. It's 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 strength to overcome. Yeah,
1: well, it, yeah. It, uh, not only that, but you know, I I tell everyone this, but like you know, I think everybody could benefit from a twelve step program. Just yeah. the self reflection and analysis of self and Defects of character and fear and, um, you know, just taking true, pure responsibility for your own actions and reflecting upon them is uh, something, like I said, that has completely changed my life. Because I didn't, the last thing I wanted to do is take a look at myself and say, what's really going on? Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to point the finger at everyone else and say, well, you know, who's responsible for this is this person, that person, this person. And the more and more, man, I use that in my life and my relationships, you know, and my job, it's, uh, it makes things a lot easier because, you know, once you can say, okay, the only person to blame in this situation is me, you know, it's, uh, uh, what a relief,
0: you know? Can, um. You know, I know that, and again, I'm not very familiar with the 12-step program because I, it's not something that I've, I've, I've had to um, do. I've only been to like one or two meetings, but I, I have seen kind of what they are. I've gone as, a, as an observer, but I know that part of the process is forgiveness. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of people, uh, when they think about that part of the process, it's people going to other people that they've wronged and apologizing to them. And I think obviously all of us could do that, as you mentioned, all of us could benefit from maybe going to people that we mistreated in our past and just saying, Hey, I'm sorry. I, um, you know, I I didn't act correctly there and I feel badly about it and I hope you can forgive me. And it's up to them whether or not they want to forgive you. But I think a really powerful and important part of of forgiveness something that I'm, I'm wrestling with and wrangling with and in my own personal growth is forgiveness of self because I think so many people are eager to be like, I did all these horrible things to people. Um, and I'm going to go say, I'm sorry to them, or I just feel guilt towards that, but they neglect that they themselves need to give their own behavior and their own, you know, where they were in their lives and and have sympathy and love towards that version of yourself that still exists within you. That's in your past. And I don't know if that rings true for you, but maybe you can just expound upon that. Was there, was there, was that part of your process? And is that something that if you think back, I remember that. Do you give yourself forgiveness or do you allow yourself to sit in that guilt? And is it a process? How does that work for you?
1: Well, I mean, the thing is, is about, you know, um, you know, they, they say it all the time in the program is, you know, you've got to make sure your, your oxygen mask is on before you can help someone else put theirs on, you know, and part of that is forgiving yourself, you know, um, you know, you've got to get good with God and yourself, um, and, you know, I've done the steps several times. So yeah, I've, you know, I've uh, made amends to a bunch of different people. And, you know, sometimes it goes great, sometimes it doesn't go great, you know, and the thing is, is that, you know, and then you run it by a sponsor who tells you, you know, it's going to do more harm than good if you reach out to this person or you know, I would definitely reach out to this person or that person or, you know what, that might cause some, you know, some financial difficulties. So why don't you make a donation in that same amount to this organization or that organization? And then, again, it's all about, you know, getting to a place where you're free of that guilt and, uh, and then making the next right step so that you don't have to continue asking for forgiveness throughout you know, and if you do, asking for it right away, made direct amends as quickly as possible for things that you screw up, you know, once you're in sobriety. And so, you know, um, I'm at a place in my life where, you know, what's done is done. And now I'm tr- just trying to live the cleanest, you know, uh, way possible. And, you know, it's tough because I'm a people pleaser, you know, mm-hmm. that's, as i you know, I know you a lot maybe you struggle with that too, but you know, I, 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 I know so many people where that's a, a big difficulty, you know, saying no to people or, uh, you know, wanting to make everyone feel great. And it's just like, well, that's just, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to take care of us so that we can then be of service to others, you know, and that's kind of the whole process behind that, that, you know, asking for forgiveness and then forgiving yourself as well
0: yeah how do you feel when when you perform whether when I that, perform whether it's a live you know, show or sketch show or or gemstones or school of rock how do you feel when you're doing it what, what's the experience like for you because I think people that aren't drawn towards performance don't understand why people are what it, what it does for them emotionally spiritually um what is it like for you
1: I mean, it's a total high. I mean, that like first time I had a hit, you know, improv or a hit sketch at the Groundlings, like, oh my God, there's no better feeling in the world. You know, it can be different with film and television because, you know, the scope can be so small, Mm -hmm. you know, that like in the moment you may not know, like, was that good, was that not good? And then I've got to say, That was good. I've done the work. I put in the work. That was good. So I'm going to now move on. And I I was of service. I've got a hundred other people making sure that that was good. (laughs) So it was good. And I get to move on, but it's not always that same satisfaction, but with the live performance where you're getting that immediate reaction from the audience. Oh my God. There's, uh, that feeling is just the best. And like, you know, my wife and I have done some shows together at the groundlings. We, We do it. Uh, a show where it's like all material that we've written either together or solo. And, oh man, just those shows are sincerely the absolute best uh, experiences or, you know, especially like when you're doing something and you have an idea in the moment, you give it a shot or you improvise something that you like literally happened instantaneously and you get a big laugh. There's like, oh, no better feeling in the world than that working, you know? That's really awesome.
0: How does that parallel for like athletic performance? Is it similar or is it a different thing for you? Like when you played lacrosse, oh yeah. you know, score a sick goal or you were, you know, charging down the field and you know, we able to like roll dodge someone and make it yeah. the same thing or is it different?
1: God, I haven't drawn, that's so funny. I haven't really drawn those parallels I'm trying to think, I mean, I I definitely think there are parallels to that. Um, I think with sports, there was such a, I had not, I think it was tougher for me with sports like that idea of like, you win some, you lose some. You know, uh, because I've been doing, Groundlings for so long, you know, I know not every sketch is going to be a hit. But like, okay, for example, I did a sketch. (laughs) I did this sketch. So my dad, when we were growing up, my dad would play this eight track tape by Gordon Lightfoot (laughs) called The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And my dad would play this tape and he would go, this is the saddest song ever. I remember when it first came out and and I heard the lyrics and it would make me cry. And um, we'd listen to it and it would be like, you know, about this ship that wrecked and all the crew died. And like my dad would like play it, blast it in the living room and be like, they all really died. This was a real ship. And so I pitched this sketch where I'm playing like a version of my dad at a campfire. And instead of a ghost story, he's playing this song.
0: And... (laughs) It's fu- it's very funny. It's a very funny. Thank premise. you.
1: Thank you. The premise worked great. But the night of the sketch, dude, I, I bombed so the hardest I have ever bombed. And I mean, I, I I had been a groundling at least for seven years at that was six years at that point. And I mean I was sitting there with our, you know, it was I, I think it was my buddy Elliot and my other buddy H, and they're just looking at me like I could see it, they were just like, oh my God, you are bombing so hard right now. Not a soul is laughing at this sketch. And it wasn't too hard on myself, man. It was just like, you know what? I haven't had a a stinker like this in probably six years. And uh, you know what, we'll never do it again, but oh oh well, you know? And uh, I think with sports, I was so much harder on myself. Like, oh man, you've got to achieve. you let the whole team down. And, and I think just, you know, same with like auditions. Like I I think there is, it's so good knowing, like, I wish I had had that perspective back then. Like, it's all right, man. You're going to have more opportunities. You're going to get more shots. You know, you're doing the best you can. And that's the thing. It's like, we're doing the best we can. And, um, and, You know, the main thing I wish I could, like, go back in time is I wish there had been, I wish there had been a coach that had just said, hey, go have fun. Mm. You know, my college coach would do this to an extent. Like, you are going to remember this moment and wish you could redo it. Like, just enjoy every single moment. Like, my sophomore year in college, we went 0 and 12. And I'm like, what I would give to go back and play Division One lacrosse and be 0 and 12 again and not have the attitude that I had, which was yeah. like, I fucking, I want to die. I hate this, you know. <laughs> and that first time, you know, I wrestled for the first time my sophomore year in high school. I'll never forget. I lost my first match and I didn't sleep that night. It was so prolific on me. Um, and just being like so heartbroken that I had lost this match and it was the first time I'd ever done like one-on-one direct competition, just me out on the mat and lost like five to four. And um, if I could just be like, hey dude, you have like 36 matches this year, that's okay. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: and it wasn't until like my senior year that I kind of like started like having fun and like I made it to the state tournament and I was already like, oh, I shouldn't be here at the state tournament. I'm not even that good to be at the state tournament. And then I took fourth in the state because I had that mentality of like, oh, let's just have fun. This is already cool. I've already surpassed my expectations. And um, that's yeah. kind of been my guiding light uh, career-wise for the last since School of Rock.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. That, that's a really good point because the fear is just fear, right? gonna go out there on stage like your expectation is you're gonna kill and then when you realize you're bombing you're like fuck i'm bombing but that's okay you know like because you, <laughs> exactly. you have the perspective of understanding like all right these people don't think this is funny i may never do this sketch again or do this improvisational direction again but like i'm gonna be okay but most people that i mean no People, it's so rare to have that perspective as a performer or really in in any endeavor of like the fear is just fear. Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to go out there, those people are going, Well, that Gordon Lightfoot sketch was really bad. You go, Yeah, I know, it didn't work. It's okay. okay."
1: (laughs) One of my castmates came back after the show and we were like getting notes. Yeah. And he thought it was like hilarious. We were all joking about how bad it was. And he like overstepped the line. He was like, Yeah, my friends said they were very physically uncomfortable during that sketch. <laughs> well it, and I was like, Okay, dude, all right. Then like I didn't need to know that. Like I'm sorry that I made them physically
0: <laughs> or you could you can take the other part of like, good, then I did my job. You right. Know? Yeah. I was trying to right. agitate.
1: <laughs> oh man um
0: well this has been great man i really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and and uh this is like really important stuff for people to hear especially from someone like you who's like doing great stuff and um wow,
1: thanks dude i was so pumped that you asked me to i love you know, i love talking about this kind of stuff it's good for people to hear that you know it isn't all like where did that guy come from yeah. oh what a sweet
0: life and it's like
1: eh, yeah.
0: I, I, uh, I ate
1: a, i ate a bunch of shit for yeah, a few I mean, years
0: I, i've been you know the people that i've been interviewing and talking to i mean you know they're people who are achieving great things but they all have that story of like it's it's not all it's not all easy some of this stuff's really really hard and i yeah. think it's good that people gain perspective of you see someone like you're on gemstones, you're sharing scenes with Divine and, and McBride. And like you go, oh, that guy's funny. And it's like there's a whole trail that brought that guy to that scene where you know he's a standout, you know. So I think that's important for people to see. So I appreciate you, you know, being honest and, and sharing these stories because I think they genuinely can help people. So I think it's really, really good that that uh that we got a chance to connect. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, dude. And um so that's the first half of the podcast now we dig into your into you can your shit
0: oh if you want to go for it nah Make
1: dude it. i got stuff to do
0: <laughs> no i i also i wouldn't be honest with you
1: uh, <laughs> i'm gonna skip out on that no yeah. thanks
0: yeah no nah, i'm good i, I don't want to get too into this stuff um but anyway man say hi to annie for me i hope everything's good in south carolina i really appreciate you doing this this is great
1: of course dude and uh Good luck with everything. I know you're full. Well, that's, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. We're just going to keep going and see, see what happens.
1: Cobra, lots of love. Give the right. fam my love. Bye. Later, dude. Bye.
0: How great was Tony and what an inspiring person he is to overcome the things he's had to overcome and to persevere the way he has is a testament, not only to him, But to the human spirit, and as rout and cliche as that may sound, it holds true, especially when you run into people like him. You know, he was obviously a guy that hit rock bottom and made that very difficult and very important decision to change his life. Tony's the perfect example of how we all have the ability as individuals to make decisions to positively impact our lives and negatively impact our lives, and we hold the keys it was obviously a struggle for him even after he got sober for a long time. Uh he you know, he had to work for a really, really work really hard for a really long period of time before he got his first sort of big break. And I think that also serves as a lesson for people that things don't come all at once. For some people they do, but for most they don't. And patience really is a virtue. And if you work hard and you do stay patient, the right things will come along for you. I really truly believe that. And I've seen that in my life as well. If you're on the lookout for those opportunities and you're doing the things necessary to prepare yourself for when they arrive, good things come. And just a little bit of housekeeping here. We're going to be trying to upload these once a week uh, with some amount of regularity. So if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and there will be more for you to listen to. Um, we're, We're going to continue to figure out more Within how to get this in front of people, and that includes social media. And admittedly, that is not my forte. So, I'm gonna help, I'm gonna list the help of some other people um, that actually know what they're doing and get the word out uh, and get it in front of more people that may like it. So, all that stuff is on the way. But uh, I wanted to say that I thank you for listening, especially at this early stage while we're figuring everything out. And I'm gonna keep going, and I invite you to do the same. We have our breath, and we have each other. This just is.